episode 250, Stephen Shedletsky, author of the book, Speak Up Culture. A speak up culture is not a hall pass to be a jerk. <laughs> right. Right? I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Stephen, his book, his work and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 250. Quick note, I'm really excited to have hit 250 episodes here. I want to thank you for listening, whether this is your first time tuning in or you've listened to all of the episodes or any number in between. I really appreciate you taking time to be part of this this podcast that I I, I so love doing and, and bringing to you. So thanks again. Now, on with the show. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. I'm very excited today to be joined by our guest, uh, Stephen Shedletsky, or Shed to his friends. I'm going to call him Shed. We're, we're barely friends, but I'm going to call him Shed. You Do can it. too. He is a sought-after uh, speaker, coach, and advisor. He's a thought leader on psychological safety in the workplace. So listeners know that is a favorite topic of mine and the show here. Shed has led hundreds of keynote presentations, workshops, and leadership development programs around the world. He is author of a relatively new book um, titled Speak Up Culture, When Leaders Truly Listen, People Speak Up. So you can read his full bio on uh, the website, uh, shedinspires.com. He worked with uh, best-selling author Simon Sinek um, and then um, has been working um, on his own and doing other things. He graduated from the Richard Ivey School of Business, um, received a coaching certification from the Coactive Training Institute and lives, Shed lives in Toronto with his wife and two young children. So Shed, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. Delighted to be here with you. I'm doing well. Better now that that we're here and on. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm happy you're here. There's a lot to talk about. I really, I, I've been enjoying the book and there's, uh, we can scratch the surface on some of the core themes there. But before we do that, can't let you off of the hook, uh, off the hook with the Usual question here, Shed. You know, the different things you've done and, and worked on, what would you say is your favorite mistake? So as soon as I agreed uh, to doing this podcast with you, you invited me and I graciously accepted. Um, I was pondering this. And my my favorite mistake, so my first job out of biz school was with um, an oil and gas company in a rotational leadership development program. And I very much joined not because of the industry, but because of leadership. I, I was fascinated with the topic. I still am of what makes great leaders, how great leaders behave. And um, I joined the organization post-merger. And my first day on the job, a thousand people were let go as I was walking in. Yikes. So it was, a, it was a tumultuous environment. And I came to realize quite objectively that the employee value proposition that I was recruited on was not the same as the employee value proposition I joined because things changed. Um, and I didn't have an amazing experience as an employee there, which 
it, you know, it's not that the leaders were evil. It was a tumultuous time. And, you know, I've come to learn about myself that bureaucracy and, and red tape aren't really my thing, which is, doesn't make me a great candidate for large organizations unless I can break a lot of rules. And so my favorite mistake was, um, I was, uh, fired on my one year anniversary from that role, not because I was a low performer, uh, but because I was mentoring a number of interns, a disproportionate number of which turned down full-time job opportunities, citing conversations with me. And so that's, that's my, that's my George Costanza moment, favorite mistake of uh, when they, when I was called into my boss's boss's office um, and let go, I kind of said, yeah, that's probably the right call. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, I mean, did you feel like intentionally or inadvertently you were maybe trying to scare away the interns or steer them in another direction, or were you just shooting straight with them about? I think I think I was doing a couple of things. I mean, I think I was uh, uh, a little disgruntled. <laughs> I think I was... Um, I think I was also, I, I think I was shooting straight, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, there was a delta in my experience between what was being promised and what was being lived. And I felt it was responsible to point some of, some of those out now. I, and I, I remember there was one person in particular that didn't appreciate it and that was fine, but there were other people who really, who really did, um, who, uh, felt as though I was giving an accurate portrayal, but, uh, so, so began my career as a bit of a corporate rebel, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, I appreciate that you were speaking candidly now. I mean, when you think, and we'll delve more in the psychological safety. I mean, did you feel, I mean, you spoke up, what, what did you feel safe or did you just not care about the consequences? <laughs> I, I, that's funny. Um, I, I felt good in the fact that I, I, I didn't, I wasn't gossiping. I wasn't speaking poorly about anyone. I was speaking about my own experience and I was owning my own experience. And I had, I had realized early in my career what I really wanted to do and focus on. So I remember sort of the first I, I, I started the role in September of 2009. I took a little bit of time off over um, uh, the holiday season, winter holiday season over Christmas and what have you. And I remember I went back into, into the office January 20, 2010 with like, a, I'm going to own my role. I'm going to enjoy this. Like I, I, I tried to talk myself into this is going to be great. I'm going to own this. I was working on one project that had, had a decent amount of res responsibility for, which ended up going well. But I, I remember Mark, I was sitting in my cubicle. The office was quiet because it was probably January 4th or something. And a lot of people were still off and uh, I couldn't go on Facebook because that wasn't allowed, but I could go on LinkedIn and on LinkedIn, a colleague of mine, Kendra Reddy, um, made a post that said, what is your organization doing to engage and retain millennial employees? And I went, oh, my God, they're not. Like my, my initial reaction was, I don't feel that I'm being engaged or retained in a meaningful way. And so I wrote, I wrote to, to, 
to her. And unbeknownst to me, she was about to speak at a conference and wanted to gain some input. And I wrote such a passionate, detailed response to her. I think I've looked it up years since. And she said, I'm speaking at this conference. Do you want to come speak too? And so two weeks later, I found myself speaking at this conference. And so I, I, I began to get great awareness of what I really wanted to be doing, which is on the engagement, inspiration, fulfillment side of, uh, of work. So, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of knew I had strong inclinations that I was not going to be there for the rest of my career. I was already looking for other things. I was already following some, some, some passion. So I, I think like a good second term president, I had, I, I felt as though I didn't have much to, much to lose. <laughs> um, so if I hear you right, you, 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 you were kind of grappling with, I think it's a common challenge. And I've faced this at, at different points in my career earlier and later on. Should I stick it out? Is it going mm. to get better? Can I make it better? Do I have an obligation obligation versus, ah, oh, the hell with it. This just isn't a fit. Let's, let's move on. But it sounds like they made that decision for you. They, they did make that decision for me. Um, you know, and I, and I, I was very lucky. I, I, my expenses were low at the time I was living at my parents' home still. So unlike some others in a, in the same, uh, circumstance, I felt as though I had some leash and, and room to, to follow and pursue passions, which I know given whatever point we are in our lives or careers, we, we may not feel that. I, I think that gave me some added courage, uh, or, or added, uh, uh, less care. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 when you're younger, um, in a way there's less to lose. There's been less built up. Your life is. Didn't have a mortgage yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as opposed to people who are further along mid career and, you know, that sad situation where people feel kind of stuck or trapped, they can't speak up safely. Mm. It's or know, there's they, or they, they there are there are repercussions or there are repercussions yeah. for speaking up fe- feel the the potential repercussions feel big yeah but it's easier said than done like uh, you know uh, depending on life circumstances like, oh we'll just go find a new job someplace else the job market's good or maybe it's not at the time yeah 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 but yeah you know, so I, job, go ahead oh go ahead well no i i think you're i think you're you're bang on that um because of where I was in my career and didn't have kids, didn't have a mortgage. Um, you know, the, uh, I was prepared, very prepared for the, for the, for the cost. Yeah. And, um, I I won't get too sidetracked on the story, but my first job out of undergrad was not a safe environment and speaking up back to themes of your book, wasn't always worthwhile either. Mm. But when I knew I was a short timer, I was leaving to go, to my business school program, I started speaking up more because I'm like, well, I'm quitting. So they're not going to fire me. Like, I mean, I didn't become, I think, reckless in speaking up, but it took away some of that fear in terms of like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen here? And I don't know if it led to any better outcomes <laughs> again. Like, was it worth it? Yeah. Well, there, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I, I, during that, tumultuous time and change of that organization, my experience of most of the leaders there wasn't great um, because 
I felt that too many of them were connected with what they had to lose. <laughs> so they weren't being overly transparent and they were showing up in ways that I perceived as more self-protection than truly service oriented for the, for the business and the folks in it. There was one person that I experienced as an amazing leader and it happened to be um, my direct leader. Um, and the reason he was so, one of the reasons, I'd like to believe that he would have been this great anyway, but one of the reasons was he was retiring. He had six months left, but he knew everyone and he he was vouching for them and fighting for them and communicating with as much transparency as he could that was appropriate. Um, but I had a front row seat to, again, a, a second term president that had nothing to lose. It was really inspiring seeing how much he was caring and fighting for um, his sphere of, of influence and care. It was brilliant. Um, yeah, I remember it to this to this day, him coming from these full day meetings when you're speaking about people on a whiteboard and moving them and he was vouching for them hard and it was exhausting, but it was uh it was a front row. Well, not a front row seat, but I, I got to see some of his work in action and it was, it was great. Yeah. It was touching. And, and, and that was some of my experience there, even in, in a really crappy environment, there can be some great leaders. And I, and you're, you're making me think of one or two key people who were in a, a similar um, kind of mode, and they were they were looking out for others and not just running out um, their own career clock. But what what before we talk more about the book, Shad? I mean, what what came next then? So, w- were you actively thinking how do I not put myself in another situation where there's a delta between what's promised and what's real? Or was was this a job with Simon Sinek, or was there something else in between? So not yet. So. Um, so yeah, I, I already started interviewing with a few other opportunities um, in in spring, summer 2010, and nothing quite hit. And I mean, I, I didn't even have a year of experience in my career. Like it was essentially going to look for another entry-level job. Um, got, got laid off or got fired. Um, that day I played tennis with my brother in the afternoon. It was fantastic. And then, uh, and then I, I began to get really clear on what I wanted to do. And I started doing it anyway, speaking and facilitating. I started doing some, um, speaking on the fact that I grew up with a stutter and overcame that fear of public speaking, uh, started to get interested in leadership coaching. So I, I was starting to make some progress and at the same time, I was also working with a career coach as part of my uh, little severance package, which was fantastic. And um, I got another job doing change management consulting at one of the big consulting companies. And, and it was it was a good experience. I learned a lot more, but I, I still didn't feel that I was on the right side of the human equation. It still felt like I was doing risk mitigation, cost lowering type of consulting, as opposed to the more expansive generative building side of, of leadership and HR around purpose, leadership, fulfillment, those pieces. So I did another quick stint at that, at that um, consulting firm, which was a good experience. And then I sort of used the money I earned there to fund my leadership coaching training. And then left that job by choice and then started taking on some one-on-one coaching clients, some more speaking gigs 
and facilitation gigs, but sort of so began about my own two year version of kind of doing my own M- MBA, um, which was things didn't move as quickly as I wanted them to. I wasn't earn- earning enough. I was moving in the right direction. But then I had the opportunity to meet with Simon and his team and joined his team and then had an amazing 10 plus year career journey with, with them. And I still do some associate work for, for them sharing Simon's ideas with Start With Why and Infinite Game. Um, but the majority of my work is now with my own Speak Up Culture practice. Yes. So I think I stated that accurately in introducing you, right? Not a mistake? Yes. Okay. Yeah, which 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 piece in in in, in particular that I still do some stuff with them? Yeah, that you work yeah, independently. Yeah. That's what I remembered from when we spoke before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I still do some some uh, stuff with them, which is fantastic. And yeah. and the majority of of uh, of my practice is is my own now. Okay. Well, I hope um, I hope you would have spoken up had I made a mistake. But am I creating <laughs> a speak up culture in this setting called the My Favorite Mistake? podcast I, I can only hope so yes so far so good right. yeah yeah so the book again um is the, the 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 main title of it is speak up culture um i'm, I'm now shed about halfway through it i did get, read a couple of more chapters since we um first spoke really enjoying the book and and you know familiar themes but i love some of the words and the framing um that that you put to this so i think we get to dig into it a little bit here but I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn. I'll take your guidance on this. I want to ask, how do you define a speak up culture? But I also feel like we should start with why a speak up mm. culture. Maybe that's intertwined or how do you want to address that? Oh, fun. So, <laughs> so why a speak up culture? Well, I'll, I'll start with how do we define it and then why it's important. I think, I think that might be the, the best way to do it. So I, I fully admit, Mark, when I first started writing, I thought I was just rebranding psychological safety. Um, a friend of mine, Tiziana uh, Kashiara, who's a pr- professor at the University of Toronto, I shared her the first first few chapters with her, and she said, "Are you writing different things, or are you writing things differently?" And I thought, "Okay, I think I'm writing things differently." But I, as we got into the to the work, I actually think there's a nuance with speak up culture that may not be present in psychological safety alone. So the way I define it is a speak up culture is an environment in which it feels both psychologically safe and worth it to speak up with ideas, even if they're half-baked, feedback to help one another grow, concerns, disagreements, mistakes, all the things. And we do those not without fear, but with fear and feeling that it what's on the other side of the fear is worth it. So the distinction and why I believe a speak up culture is is not only psychological safety, is the worth it component. Right. Because psychological safety, as Edmondson defines it, it's an environment in which the members of teams feel that it is safe to take interpersonal risk. But if I feel safe to take interpersonal risk, but after taking interpersonal risk, nothing changes Mm -hmm. and I still feel safe to take interpersonal risk and nothing changes. It's how many times do I go back to that dry well until I'm like, I might feel safe, but it's just not worth it. And apathy sets in. Now it's, it's at least we have safety, but if we don't have safety and we don't have worth it, that's an unhappy marriage of fear and, and, and apathy, 
which is that bottom left piece of the two by two matrix that I'm sure you've come across. Um, but it's interesting that there may not be psychological safety, but there is a perception of impact and there is worth it. This is Ed Pearson at Boeing. This is Dr. Kimberly McClear at the U.S. Coast Guard. Those two folks didn't feel safe speaking up, but they did so out of necessity and out of integrity. So, and we use the word whistleblower usually for people like that. Somebody in a hospital who knows they might get fired, but they speak up about a surgeon anyway, for example. Yeah. So whistleblowing is my understanding of it is an, it's an external act. Ah, fair enough. So yeah. whistleblowing is either after attempts on the inside to go through appropriate channels and nothing happens still they then go outside of the organization, post on a LinkedIn, go to Congress, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Whistleblowing is actually the external letting the world know, you know, Ford Pinto yeah. isn't safe. Sure. Good point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so that that's what it is. It's an environment in which it's safe and worth it. And I think it's those two. And why it's important is it's it's not only good for the health and well-being of your people, it's good for business, for creativity, for productivity, for for trust and in, 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 in innovation and everything in between and beyond. Um, you gain from the perspective of more people. Um, there's often then the counter question of, well, is there a time when it isn't appropriate to speak up because I don't want to hear everyone's opinions about everything? And it's like, yeah, you can set boundaries and you can set deadlines and timelines and parameters. Um, but if someone is holding on to something that can either mitigate a risk, create greater safety, or get to a better outcome, wouldn't you want to hear it? And wouldn't you want to create the environment where that truth, that idea is both encouraged and rewarded? Yeah. Um, does it matter sometimes, you know, how we speak up tips that you've, you've learned along the way, uh, to, to have maybe an unpopular or disagreeing message be heard and maybe more considered, to come across as not a complainer, but somebody who has a well-articulated, solid, different opinion. Yes. So these are ideas. I don't know if I put both of these ideas in the book. I know I didn't do one of them. Um, So these are ideas I've come up with since the book came out. So one, I call it the um, speak up spectrum. And the other is an analogy of a transmission. So um, what, a, what a speak up culture is, so first and foremost, speak up is a culture, not an instruction. Yeah, I can't right. say speak right. up if I haven't helped to create the environment in which it's safe and worth it. Now, a speak up culture is one in which we speak up with tact, decency, respect, situational awareness, emotional intelligence. Then exists this spectrum of what a speak up culture or what speaking up appropriately isn't. What it isn't is it isn't sucking up. So (laughs) speak up is not suck up. That's hogging air, right? And that's (laughs) speaking up to be seen. That's Mm -hmm. speaking up of boss says or corporate culture says, so I'm going to do it all the time. No, that's not an act of service. That's an act of selfishness. And the feedback to that individual is, hey, pick your spots and do more work elevating the voice of others rather than elevating your own voice. So that's one scenario. On the other end of the spectrum, a speak-up culture is not a hall pass to be a jerk. (laughs) Right. Right? 
Well, we have a speak up culture. I'm just going to speak my mind. Well, there are consequences if you speak up in a way that is not appropriate, isn't respectful, um, and isn't done at the right time and at the right place with the right people and in the right way. So there's a nice standard that's actually credited to Craig Ferguson of uh, who's the, the, Scottish, the Scottish comedian. Yeah, he has a whole yeah. stand-up bit, bit on this. I think unbeknownst to him, he made great management theory. It's, does this need to be said by me right now? Which is a nice little lip, litmus test. This needs to be said by me, but not right now. Yeah, T- Take it offline, you know? Yeah. Um, this needs to be said um, uh, not by me, mm-hmm. but either now or later. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. This needs to be said right now, but not by me. Yes. That's interesting. It is very interesting. I'm going to go find the clip. I have gotten in trouble because of all three of those things where the answer probably would have been no. Yeah. It didn't need to be said, not necessarily by me, not necessarily right now. And yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard people push back and when I teach about psychological safety and somebody inevitably, you know, you know we, we, we talk about like, well, are you able to be your authentic self? And somebody never asks it this way, exactly these words, but well, what if my authentic self is being an asshole who tramples over people all the time? Or I'm allowed to be, I should be allowed to be that. I'm like, but you said that, but there are consequences that that behavior that they may feel safe to do is going to make others feel less safe to speak up, perhaps. Yes, right? yes. Well, there's, it's, it's, yes, it's the, it's the two things can be true at the same time. We want you to show up as your authentic self and we want you to live within the values of the organization. So if your authentic self is trampling over people, you either need to work on your authentic self or go to an environment where that is okay, which I don't know how many, you know, that should be okay. Um, If it is okay, it probably isn't so, so healthy. But this is where I think there's nuance in how we communicate. So if, you know, like I said, it isn't hall pass to be a jerk. Well, what happens if someone shows up and was a jerk, either intentionally or unintentionally? So one, if someone speaks up with something that's valid, but does it at an inappropriate time or in an inappropriate way, you can still reward them for the intent, the positive intent, but you can provide feedback and coaching on the behavior and the impact of that behavior. And there are some folks who either because of lack of awareness and development or maybe neurodiversity, right? Where they show up and they are rude or they, or they're, they're an ass, but it wasn't on purpose. It's a growth opportunity. But if we completely shut it down, you're actually inadvertently chipping away to speak up culture. So coach, coach on the, on the, the, the feedback, uh, provide feedback and coaching on the behavior and the impact, but still reward the intent if there's a positive intent. The, the other thing is for us to treat ourselves not as automatic transmissions, but as manual transmissions. Mm. So thinking of cars, yeah. Thinking of, thinking of cars. So, so when though in an automatic tra- transmission, there are often different gears, they go on their own. A manual transmission, you, you change it on your own. So instead of thinking of um, speaking up as park, drive, and reverse, or, uh, you know, reverse would be, I guess, flight, <laughs> drive would be fight, and park is freeze, an oscillation yeah. between fight and flight. 
um, know that you have multiple gears within Drive. So just because it's speak up, you can be mindful and you can say, I think I'm about to say, share something unpopular mm. and I'm doing it because I think it's going to get us to where we need to go. Right. Permission to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try not to step on toes, but we need to, I, I think this truth is going to help us. Yeah. So we can inoculate before we do the thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I love what you said there about somebody might accept and reward the idea, the disagreement, the pushback, the challenging of the status quo and at the same time. You know, however, let me give you a little feedback that, you know, that, that somebody should also feel safe to give feedback to the ass to be <laughs> use that description. Or yeah. if somebody says something offensive, that somebody hopefully feels safe enough or it's worthwhile in your framework to speak up and say, you know, um, that kind of joke's not really funny or appropriate. Yeah. And hopefully there's receiving that as coaching. Yeah. One of my favorite stories of this came from the late Randy Pausch. So he, he's the author of the last lecture and MIT professor who unfortunately passed, I think at 42 years old with three young kids. And he did this last lecture, which was really a head fake to leave his kids with a message that he could still parent them while he wasn't there, which is just so touching and beautiful and, 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 uh, and emotional. But he, he, he told a story of when he was, I think, a PhD candidate, he was studying under a particular professor and mentor who he really respected. But Randy was this guy who made sure that everyone knew that he was the smartest guy in the room, um, uh, arrogance. And his, his mentor said to him uh, at, a, at a particular moment where they were in a one-on-one conversation, he said to Randy, it's a shame you're so talented because most of the rest of the time you're such a jerk. And he said, your talent's only going to get you so far if you continue to behave and ensure that you're the smartest person in, in the room. Show up with something to learn. Show up with humility. So he tapped into this guy's got, got ambition and his arrogance is going to get in the way of his ambition. Let me notch him down a few. So he actually shows up you know, he, he took the risk of the feedback, not to knock him down, but to actually raise him up um, and, and build him up by saying, you know, stop being such a jerk because it's going to get, get in the way of your success. Yeah. So um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the themes from the book. And I, I first learned uh, about you and your book via LinkedIn. I think, you know, a friend of mine had known of you in the book and posted a comment and I think tagged me and said, Hey, Mark Raven, you would like this. And you know, I, 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 I can only hope that, you know, there's always a risk with online comments that making a point comes across as being, I don't know, argumentative or dismissive, or it must not have been too bad you were willing to talk to me, and I'm grateful <laughs> for that. But what yeah. I remember was, you know, I saw the book Speak Up Culture, and, you know, that makes me think of, um, you know, your point of you, you, you can't just declare that this it's not an instruction, it's a culture, it's the result of how people behave. And I think I added the comment, something along the lines of like, well, you know, maybe we should call this a listen up culture, <laughs> which puts more of the onus on leaders. And then I'm like, oh, the subtitle of your book does exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little, you know, so I learned something, but, um, you know, tell, tell, tell us more, uh, you know, the subtitle again, when, when leaders truly listen, people step up. Yeah. So, so a couple of things. So, I mean, the the good news is we're in both uh, violent agreement 
we, we, I was glad to discover that. Yeah, we, we, we both agree, which is fantastic. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, um, it's funny. There have been a number of moments where friends have passed the book or the message to another friend or a family member. And every now and then, um, one of those family members is a very senior leader to which they say, yeah, we have a speak up culture here, which is like, well, says who? The most senior leader? Do you have meaningful feedback, uh, data and survey? Are you frequently challenged on your point of view? Like, know that as a senior leader, your point of view is but one data point, And you better look at a holistic viewpoint because, you know, just because you think you have a speak up culture, you know, bravo, that's called bias. Um, so yeah, the, the, the subtitle. So what's funny, Mark, is the first drafted title for the book, I called it Listen Down, which, you know, everyone says, listen up. But my experience is that great leaders actually listen down within their organizations. Now I changed it for two reasons. One is down as a negative word. And I think it's better to have more positive words. And two, it felt pedantic or authoritative or too top down. Um, but it's funny that you said, listen up. It's like, well, it's also listen down. Um, well, if, you, if you, if you flip the pyramid, then it is listening up. There we go. You know? Oh, there you go. That's good. Sure. <laughs> flip the so, so yes, it's called speak up culture. Um, and I, I owe a hat tip to Sue Barlow who worked with Jim Collins on good to great, who gave me that frame. Cause I think I, in the original subtitle, I put speak up or speak up culture in the subtitle. And she's like, just make that the title. Um, so yeah, the the subtitle is when leaders truly listen, people step up. My editor said, take out the word truly. It's it's meaningless. It doesn't add any more meaning. It's superfluous, um, like a vestigial organ. And I went, no, 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 no. It's needed because listening is a skill. And you can actually, leaders can listen and use the information they get to manipulate folks and manipulate things. I added in truly because to me that denotes compassion. When leaders use the skill of listening plus the human attribute of compassion and empathy, that can become a leadership superpower. So I was insistent on including truly uh, because it denotes compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just as an aside here, it would be fun to get to know you more and find something we disagree about. <laughs> it could be some, either fun conversation or mutual learning around yeah. that because, you know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading your book. I'm nodding and I'm seeing familiar names like Ethan Burris, who I was happy to see you cite. And he's been influential on me of this lesson of fear and futility as being two reasons why people don't speak up. You flipped it then to the positive when they feel safe and it's worth, worth yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And I, I used fear and apathy, but um, futility yeah. is, is that's, that's a great, a great word to use as well. Unfortunately, there's a nice alliteration that, that he came up with there, at least yes. fear and futility. But yeah. Um, I mean, so you, you, you talk about the situation where I think leaders could be unaware of the Delta between stated values and reality, or there's optimism. I years ago at this point, early in her period as CEO, Mary Barra at GM mm. said, okay, we want this to be a speak up culture. She used those words. And I started my career at GM, right? That was a crappy environment I was a part of that was not a speak up culture. And I remember writing a piece saying, well, I mean, it it, it sounds like blaming the workers for not speaking up. 
when I know it was not a listen down environment to use your language. Um, I mean, how, how often are leaders either just unaware or in like active denial that they think the problem is, is the workers? <laughs> so, so a couple of things spring to mind. Um, so one, there's an article out of The Atlantic. It's a few years old, but it's one of my favorite articles. It's called Power Causes Brain Damage. And it actually takes MRI scans of senior leaders and critical thinking and empathy, some of the very things that got them into their role, diminish. And the reason it diminishes is the more senior one gets, the more deference we we offer them biologically. Like they are, they are our alphas, they are our senior leaders, right? Um, and so it means a couple things. So one, as a senior leader, the more senior you get, the further away you can get from the truth. And you have to work especially hard to get it, receive it. And when it comes to actually reward it and not punish it, because if you punish it, it's just not going to keep coming. Um, and then the other is leaders have to know that their whisper is a shout and their tiptoes are stomps. So I'm, I'm often asked, you know, who, who's responsible for a speak-up culture? The, the senior leaders or the, or the employees? And the answer is yes. Everyone is responsible, but leaders are at least 51% responsible, at least. They're not 99. That would be a codependent relationship, um, but it's, it's at least 51, meaning that there's a disproportionate because of the influence that they hold. Now, uh, I'm, I, I'm assuming we would also agree on the point that change often lives and dies in the middle of organizations, where senior leaders have these ideas, maybe even strategically they're right, but there's either a detachment from reality or the work of making it shift and happen very much happens with those middle managers who are the only folks inside of an organization who have multi-directional influence. They can influence upside to side and down. I've seen organizations succeed and fail whether or not those folks in the middle are actually listened to. When, when, when you as a senior leader have someone who has, takes the risk and speaks up and shares some hard and honest feedback, you have to take that really seriously and put any narcissism aside and ramp up humility and just believe them, just believe them and find truth. Um, because yeah, if we, if we make a speak up culture, other people's problems, you, you don't have a speak up culture. So maybe as we wrap up here, and I'm going to bring up two topics that could probably each merit their own 30 minutes that we don't have. Um, this time. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk and his different companies seems mm-hmm. to not engender a speak up culture, but he's been successful anyway. Does that disprove the power of speak up culture? Or is it a question of you could be successful until you're not? I I think it's that. I mean, I I look at Elon... And Elon is definitely a rebel, doesn't, you know, uh, challenges authority. Um, You know, I I put him in an archetype similar to a Steve Jobs. Um, Has vision, pushes people, unrealistic, and doesn't necessarily, isn't a nurturing leader. I think there's a difference. We often say, like, I, I think there's a nuance between visionary and leader. 
And you don't need to have vision to be a leader necessarily. You need to believe in and follow, but you don't need to be visionary. Now, you can be visionary, but not a leader, which means you have vision, but you don't necessarily know how to lead or treat people. And there's room for that. I think we ought to work on our leadership abilities, but the room for that is to safeguard yourself or wreck yourself or check yourself before you wreck yourself and get people around you who can actually lead and manage and create safe distance while not letting you off the hook for your foibles. You still got to work on them. So yeah, I, I think Elon has been successful to this point because of vision and radical, interesting ideas, but it'll begin to get in the way if, um, if it isn't well managed, uh, or yeah, you'll, or, or I mean, here's the thing that people d- described with with Jobs, and Jobs was pretty good at this. He said, "I'm going to be hard on you. I'm not going to treat you so well, but I can guarantee you, I'm going to take you places, and this is going to be the ride of your life." Sure. And Musk is a similar type of leader. Yeah, and, and, and people do respond to that, whether it's a leader, a football coach. In my case, it was a marching band director because I didn't play mm-hmm. football. You, you don't always like them because they're challenging you and pushing you. But there's, a, you know, I, I, I think he would succeed. The thought experiment that we can't prove out is I think he would be more successful if he didn't have such a record of firing people who disagree. Yeah. Well, so there's 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 two versions of that. There's Mark, I believe on you, I believe in you and I'm going to be hard on you because I believe in your potential. Yeah. There's that version. There's another version of I'm going to be hard on you because if you can't do it, the next person <laughs> will. Good luck. Yeah. Right. And that that latter one can work for a, a time in a short period of time, but it's a finite game rather than the, the infinite. You're going to burn through people as opposed to I think you can challenge based on relationship and what you know of them and their potential, which takes leadership because that can't scale. You, you, you can't push and challenge someone if you don't know what makes them tick and what their potential is. You can only do that with effective leadership. And I've thrived in the former of those scenarios of somebody pushing me because they believed in my potential or saw more potential than I thought was there. And that yes. ends up being appreciated. Okay, then we may have to leave this as just a thought experiment for the listener. You mentioned a name from Boeing earlier. And, and Boeing CEO is now saying, okay, we want employees to speak up. And I, and I read this, I'm like, that hasn't been the case so far? That's terrifying yeah. to hear them at this stage in 2024 saying that's what needs to happen. And I, I know I've got to let you go. Sorry. Yeah, well, my so my response to that is the right headline about 13 years too late. If not about, you know, when did the merger with McDonnell Douglas happen? Mm-hmm. You know, 90s? Earlier than that, yeah. Right? Late 80s, early 90s. Um, so, you know, uh, right headline, 13 years too late. Because in 2011, as we both know, American Airlines called up uh, Boeing saying, we need a new uh, single, single lane plane. Uh, and they went, you know give us some time. And they said, no. And Boeing went, okay. And they just uh, gave a plane that hadn't been meaningfully updated since 1967, a facelift that was an air, an unaerodynamic facelift. Um, so yeah. And that's on, on the max. So right headline way too late. And I have continue to have significant concerns with Boeing commercial. Yeah. 
Well, hey, we can keep talking about that on LinkedIn, invite the listener to come and do the same. We'll find something we disagree with uh, at some point here. So I've really enjoyed this, Shed. Um, Stephen Shevletsky. Shed, oh, see, that's the speed bump. That's why you go by Shed. Yeah, Stephen, yeah. Stephen's easy. Stephen Shedletsky. I probably it. said that wrong every time I've tried, except for there. Um, website, again, is shedinspires.com. The book, I really recommend it, is called Speak Up Culture. When leaders truly listen, people step up. Shed, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I look forward to both agreeing and disagreeing with you in meaningful <laughs> ways in the future. A joy. Glad, glad uh, we're, we're now new friends. Look forward to staying in touch. Likewise. Thanks. Cheers. Well, thanks again to Shed for being uh, such a great guest today. Uh, please do check out his book, Speak Up Culture, to learn more about that, to find links to the book, uh, Stephen's website, and more. Look in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 250. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.